Brad, I, I, I kind of wonder if internet can be too fast. I don't, but I'll hear you out. Well, okay. So like when I download a game from Steam or Epic or something now, the CPU spins up because the compression's so hard. And like mm-hmm. if the fans turn on to download files now because my internet's so fast. If your internet is faster, they wouldn't have to compress the data so much. And then your CPU wouldn't spin up as much because it doesn't have to decompress it. I don't, I don't think they're compressing the data so much to save me time. I think they're no, saving no, save themselves I money, know. Brad. I know. I'm just saying the possibility would exist. So I just saw uh, Dane, the CEO of, of uh, I was on X looking at the latest disaster over there. Ten, uh-huh. Sorry, I was on 10 looking at the latest disaster over there. And I saw that uh, Dane Jasper, who's the CEO of Sonic, had, had done a 10 that said, if you've got Sonic fiber at one gigabits per second, I would like to put in a request for upgrade to 10 gigabits per second. That's now possible here. And then there's a link to your like Sonic profile page. You, you may have just changed my life. I am so sad because I'm on AT&T. I'm sorry. I think and you're on. Are you on Sonic lines? Are they are you on no. some some part? Oh, what is it? It's the other way. Some Sonic leases some AT&T lines. Oh, that's yeah, what it is. That's right. That's there right. Is. Not not the other way around. Uh, yeah, it turns out AT&T is the one rolling all the fiber out. So here's the thing, though. If you if you upgrade to 10 gigabit, it's basically a chain. You're never going to be able to leave that apartment. You're going to live there for the rest of your life. I mean, I'll have to move to Chattanooga then. We've been over this. (laughs) That's the option. That's true. It's it's San Francisco or Chattanooga. Those are the only places I can live now. You're not wrong. I would have to buy a bunch of new equipment. So I would be sunk into maintaining that speed with the money that I spent on that gear. I don't really need it, but I need it. Okay, so my understanding, I'm I'm guessing that in the time it's taken me to say this, you've gone to his Twitter, clicked the link, and you're about to tell me I'm signed in to the account. I'm looking at the <laughs> I'm looking at the upgrade or downgrade service option. So it's weird because he's basically on, on Twitter, he's making it sound like, hey, if you have our one gigabit service, you can just request it now. But last I saw, the build out was super expensive, like per customer. Yeah, they have to do like router and switch upgrades and stuff on the back end, right? So so he posted quite a bit on their forums a few months ago about how expensive it is uh, per block or per customer to build out for 10 gig. The lines are fine. Like the fiber they laid years ago can go way past 10 gigabit. It's all the, like you said, it's all the boxes on either end of those lines that have to be upgraded in a costly fashion to get you the service. So anyway, I'm going to click this thing because... There are currently no speed upgrades available at your address. Sorry, Brad. Gretzky is denied. However, you may request Sonic bring 10 gigabit fiber service to your location. Oh, so what they're doing is saying, hey, express interest. And then if enough people on your block express interest, so it's cost effective, they'll hit the button. You should request interest. I'm going to have to go get to know my neighbors. I'm going to have to like whip up a public relations campaign on my block. Look, I'm going to tell you, here's here's the plan. You, what you need to do is take that old TV that's sitting in your living room that you're not mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. and face it, hang it out of a window facing the street and be, and have put a, put a reel on there. That's like, yo, you know, what's not fast enough. Your internet. Mm-hmm. If you go to this webpage and, and click this button, then you can express interest in getting 10 gigabit fiber from Sonic. And then we can all get 10 gigabit fiber from Sonic and like put a pie chart on there or a thermometer where it fills up when, when like you get 10 gigabit uh, internet. That's mm-hmm. what you do with that TV mm-hmm. and how to get 10 gigabit fiber. By clicking above, you acknowledge uh, that you authorize Sonic to charge $299 to the preferred method of payment once your 10 gigabit service is ready for delivery. So is that a one time or is that the monthly? That's a one time, I think. I think that's a one time. Probably they have to give you a new modem or something, right? Uh, probably. Last I saw, they were not raising the price for the service. Because some people wow. in Cal, like Cal Hollow and I think Marina have it. And, <sighs> and it was they were not raising the monthly cost of service to go to 10 gigabit. I like Sonic a lot. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. 
I should click this button. I'm going to click this button. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I am Brad. I'm 10, gig, 10 gigabit Brad. Not, not quite 10, yet. 10 gigabit Brad. Brad 10 GB. Oh, that's me. Yeah. I, I remember Joey Famelli used to, his aim in ancient times was Joey Joey HD. And then 4K video came out and he was like, shit, I'm going to have to change my aim name. And Joey then aim went away. So it wasn't yes. a problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the problem solved itself. Yeah. It worked itself out. You know, you know, I'll say real fast, the best practical actual use for 10 gigabit i can think of is like say downloading games to both your xbox series x and to ps5 at the same time because both of those services will just about max out my 10 gigabit can or my i'm sorry my one gigabit connection right now yeah that's that's true like so so you could theoretically you could be getting the 100 megabytes a second to both of those consoles simultaneously well and i like we had the thing on the 500 megabit in palm desert where like opening a paramount plus app on the apple tv would cache the first i assume it's caching like the first 20 seconds of a bunch of different videos and it would it would spike you to the point that like i was hosting anacrusis games in the other room and the connection was dropping from people playing with me yes that sounds exactly so that's that's what it is it's like get a faster connection is not for serial throughput it's it's for concurrency right or parallel stuff but what if it was for serial throughput? but but, so so like realistically though like you have two people live in your house. I have three people yeah. live in my house. Yeah. We're not doing if we had six or ten people in the house, maybe yes. concurrency would be an issue. Yeah. You yeah. don't need this. I don't but you need do need it. Need but I do need it. This. Yeah. It's probably a tax write-off. We could podcast about it. Yeah. I mean, this is look, we've already Actually, podcasted enough to write it off. I'm not an accountant. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. Anyway, this yeah. look. This is the kind of rationalization. The the hey, this is my tax rate discounted off of the price of whatever I'm buying. Uh, it encourages me to buy a bunch of stupid shit. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I will say before, real fast before we move on. If you hang out in the networking channel on the Discord, um, affordable 10 gigabit network gear is becoming very ubiquitous very quick. Oh, that's interesting. Literally six months to a year ago, there was nothing. You would have to spend like. Eight hundred, a thousand dollars to get a good network switch that could handle that kind of speed. But there are finally like the sort of Shenzhen like no name companies have caught up, and there are you can buy you can buy a seventy dollars switch now that has four two point five gig ports and two ten gig ports on for seventy bucks. It's it's interesting you say that because I have an old ubiquity switch that um like was getting decommissioned from a friend of the site's uh, place of work, and he was like, "We're going to send it to electronics recycling." So. You want to come down and grab any of this stuff? Come on down. And I came on down and got a like a twenty four port switch with oh. two, two two and a half gig fiber ports on it. I don't even use the fiber. Like I'd have to crawl under the house to use the fiber ports where the switch is. But like, yeah the 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 concept of running the fiber once and then just upgrading the switch from two point five gigabits to ten gigabits is mm-hmm. is kind of compelling. I don't know that I have slots though. Is the other mm. issue? Mm, that is yeah, a problem. So, yeah. I can tell you anyway. PCI Express um, slots, they're back in fashion. Yeah, but I, what I need is a USB 3.2 to fiber adapter. Mm. That's, what this, that's the way to make this the best, I think. Uh, Brad, what are we doing this week? What do we got? 
Um, I need to go to Discord and credit uh, the person who sent this, uh, uh, this, this topic in. Remember when we did the Killed by Google episode? That was a long time ago. It seems that probably like. was a very long time ago, actually. But I mean, it, so there was a, there's a site called it's it's uh, it's like killed by Google. Um, it was the first time I'd seen something like this, but it's like a graveyard site for Google. Yes. The great Google graveyard. It's literally killed by Google.com. Yeah. It's a nice little, <laughs> they have guillotines and uh-huh. tombstones, depending on whether they died natural deaths or are, 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 are on the cutting board now. And, um, it's a really like, it's interesting to go back and look at the things that, that Google has killed throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that a few, a couple of years ago. Yeah. They're, they're kind of infamous for it. Yeah. Rip Google reader forever. Rip yes. Google inbox forever. Rip Google podcasts coming soon to mm-hmm. uh, the end of life. Uh, well, well, hey, we're now we're back with a new collection of guillotines. Yeah. Thanks to Pac-Man 326 on the Discord for sending this in. Uh, there's this has to be the same people. I was looking at the sort of copyright on the page. Yes, it is. It is the same guy. Same person. Same person. OK, it's the same design. It looks like. Yes. Yeah. yeah same guillotines. Same tombstones <laughs> killed by Microsoft. Yeah. Dot info for this one is the yes. URL. So um, it's the same idea. Like here's here's all the stuff that they've killed over the years. We went through and picked some that we thought were interesting and noteworthy. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to talk through them. Because there's a bunch of there's like a weird mix of stuff that everybody knows about. And then there's stuff that was like important, but kind of you don't really remember anymore. And and Microsoft's like this is a weirder exercise for Microsoft because a lot of the stuff that they killed, they killed in a time before Google. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's not really irony, but it's weird. So it's hard to find information about things that were killed prior to like 2002 or 2003 because the search engines don't really index those pages particularly well and it, it's a little it's a little fraught yeah um but i i we don't have these in any particular order i think we should you want to start with some of the big ones like there's a like for, for me like the big thing that microsoft killed in the last decade is like their their three screen strategy from like the mid 2000s the early bomber days yeah, so like, until like mid 2010s, probably late 2010s. Yeah. Like, how, how do you define that? Because it seems like that encompasses quite a few of these products, actually. It, a lot of them roll up here. So the three screen strategy was the idea that computing was going to move beyond the desktop computer that sits in your office or on your like in your dining room and your kitchen table or wherever people used computers in the early. Like, if you think back to the early 2000s, when, the, when they came up with this. The idea that mobile computing was going to be ubiquitous and powerful was pretty far off. Like laptops were like, if you bought a laptop, it was probably a thing that you had for work because you traveled or you needed to be able to work in different places. And a lot of work, work computers were still like either all in ones or desktops or, or something, something that just sat on a desk someplace and didn't move. Um, they were looking at that, that transition from desktop PC into more ubiquitous computing in the house. And they came up with this three screen strategy, which was, the desktop PC still the core of the whole thing. It's it's like where you go to play games, where the kids do their homework and write projects and all that kind of stuff. But then they also were like, hey, there's two more screens that are going to be of interest in the house. One is the living room and the other one is your phone. And um, this was kind of their response to the post iPhone world. And I, and I think that the through the living room part of it was primarily because they knew that they didn't have like they were way behind on phones when iPhone and, and later Android rolled out. Like the Windows phone was a was still Windows Mobile at that point, and it was a business tool for business ass users. 
And like the coolest thing they had in that, in that market looked like a danger hip top that was about three times the thickness. And, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that normal people were going to use. Uh, when did, when did Balmer become CEO? When did the strategy roll out? I'm curious how, where, where this is placed on the timeline, uh, relative to the first Xbox. Uh, so the first Xbox was the, was the initial shot of this three okay. screens in the cloud was, was, um, uh, 2009, I believe. Oh, oh was when okay. they first rolled that out. That was like, but, but they'd been clearly been working on the living room for a long time. At that, this that's point, right. That's what I was wondering is it was kind of a chicken and egg thing. Did, did, was the first Xbox, the first sallow in this plan or did this plan sort of catch up to what the people in the Xbox well, division had already been doing? So as is often the case at Microsoft, my feeling was always that the Xbox division and the Microsoft division were all both and the windows division were both competing to be the living room screen against each other <laughs> primarily. Okay. Cause like nobody else gave a shit at that point. Like Apple rolled out the Apple TV, but it was just a way to watch iTunes movies on your living room and nothing really else. Um, and that was kind of before like Roku, like when the Xbox was taking off and when windows, when they launched windows media center with X with like late in the XP life cycle in like 2004, there wasn't a, um, there, there wasn't anybody else paying attention to that space. It was like TiVo had the DVR box that hooked up to your cable cable, but you couldn't like that. Netflix didn't exist as a streaming service at that point. It was a place you got discs in the mail. And um, I think, I think there were a handful of like um, uh, a crackle or there were early, early, like really limited streaming service, like stars based streaming services or something at that point. But it wasn't, it was something for weirdos and, and nerds, not for normal people. So saying, hey, we have the games part of the living room, which they did reasonably well on. But like this was approaching Xbox 360 launch and and they were in a in a good position, uh, even though the first Xbox was kind of a, a failure. The, the the they were they were prepped for success with the 360. Um, the Windows Media Center stuff was their their pitch was, hey, this can be your TiVo, but also it'll let you watch videos and pictures and stuff from your computer, too. So you could watch home movies or you could watch DVDs that you had theoretically ripped, which was still against the law at that point. Uh, you could um, you could presumably watch pirated stuff, but only in really specific codecs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could do things like uh, watch DVDs. But the, the big thing was, hey, we have a PVR. So you could get a, a HGTV a decoder with cable cards you could jam up to six tuners into your PC and record six channels at once across HGTV and broadcast, which was, which was kind of nuts at the time. Yeah. All for the low, low price of having a whole ass computer sitting in your living room next to your TV. And look, people made buck wild computer designs for that thing. Like the people would make a fanless design media center PCs that were oh. like, that like had heat pipes from the hot stuff inside the box out to a full aluminum chassis with like cooling fins on the side and banana bonkers stuff. So they just radiate heat inside your entertainment center. Wait, was there a whole like hardcore windows media center community? Oh, scene? was there a hardcore windows media center community? Yes. There were a huh. bunch of people that got real excited about this. There were multiple like fan sites that were, that were doing builds. The unfortunate thing was for a long time, you couldn't build the encrypted digital tuners on homebrew machines. So you had to buy them from someplace. And, and eventually there ended up being retailers that would sell you those with a windows license. Like they, they figured out what the letter of the law was required to get Microsoft to, to authorize those and make them work. But, um, but it wasn't like you could just buy a qualm tuner and jam it in your PC and suddenly plug a cable card in and have HBO on your desktop. 
Um, the, the big, honestly, the big problem with the media center stuff was that they didn't. Um, it, so it was a ten foot interface that worked with a remote. They didn't in, embrace games at all because, again, Microsoft, Windows, and Xbox were in eternal battle with each other at this point. And um, the codec stuff was really rough. So, like, all of the DBR stuff was used by Microsoft codecs and DRM. So you couldn't, you didn't, you could download, you could record stuff off of the TV, and then you would only be able to watch it in the 10 foot interface app. You couldn't even like load it up in Windows Media Player or stuff like that for the most part without doing some fairly involved stuff to decrypt it. Um, and uh, it, it lasted through XP, through Vista. I think they laid, they, they reassigned most of the team after the Vista release and it came out, it was still in Windows 7, but it was basically unchanged from the Windows Vista version at that point. And then they uh, killed it before they moved to Windows 8. Yes, 2002 to 2015 RIP. It's crazy to see yeah. that thing came out barely a year after the first Xbox, and yet there was zero synergy between the two. I mean, you know, different divisions doing different products, like not communicating with each other. I get it, but yeah, there's the XKCD about the org charts at Microsoft where they show the different clouds with guns all pointing at each other. Mm. I think that was very representative of that time. Sure. Um, so then the, the gates, the, the gates and Balmer years were. A whole thing. Look, it was a dysfunctional family at that point. It seems like in in retrospect, but but like there was a bunch of other stuff around this around this uh, this. I think they called this the fun hub. Was the (laughs) idea of that your living room would be the fun hub where all the fun happened? You'd have a Windows Media Center PC. You'd have an Xbox. At the same time, Games for Windows was coming out in that same window. Like that's 2005 when Media Center PC landed. Was when we first started talking to people at Microsoft about the promise of games for windows, which, mm-hmm. you know, brought us to the Xbox 360 controller support for every game ever, which is a great thing. Like it wasn't all, it wasn't all guns pointing at each other. It was, it was, it, it was a weird dysfunctional situation though. Yeah. Um, should we talk about windows home server? Is that, does that tie in enough to this? Was that around? This is part of the same, same kind of initiative. Same, yeah, this, was initiative. A, this was a home. Uh, so windows home server was like a home NAS OS that was based on windows server different versions over the years but um and the 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 main thing was they built a f- app front end for it that you loaded on your windows pc okay and you did all of the maintenance like you didn't have to know an ip address to connect to it right so it was set up to be very easy like plugging in an external storage device but you just plugged it the idea was you plug it into the switch on your router and you, then you would have a place to first back up all of your windows pcs in your house which was actually like easily the best part of the thing was you just you you installed the client on each of the Windows PCs and then every night at like 10 o'clock it would it would make a diff copy of whatever had changed on your PC that day and you could restore it anytime. It was really, really easy and really good. That actually sounds super useful. Yeah, the main the main reason I even wanted to ask about this is that you describe it here as a headless application managed home NAS. Like the idea of a headless Windows machine this seems so anathema to the whole idea of Windows that yeah. I, I wanted to know, but it's just, so it was just a custom app. I assume you ran on, on a client machine that would administrate it. Yeah. So you downloaded a special app. It was, uh, you could get it from the machine. If you knew how to connect to it on the LAN. it was just in a shared folder by default. It was really slow. Like it was, it was, it was janky even for the time for windows, but it did things like let you do a JBOD that had redundancy and, and so like it did all sorts of cool windows storage spaces stuff that became it's kind of built into windows at this point, a, a, um, a just a bunch of disks for people. Yeah. And it, and it would do parity across them. So like if you, you could put in different size disks and you could say, okay, 
what's the smallest disk I can put in that lets me maintain parity so that all of my data is on at least two drives. Every bit of data is on at least two drives. And you could say on each share, just like you can with FreeNAS or TrueNAS, which ones are are duplicated, which ones aren't. Right. So you could you could make a you could on the same set of drives, you could say, okay, the photo share I want to be on all the drives, but the um the the downloaded software one is just needs to be on one drive because it's basically a temporary dumping ground. Um the performance wasn't great, but like HP and Asus and a bunch of Acer, a bunch of companies supported the initiative and they built these cool headless little machines like the like the HP Media Smart was like a um I don't know, it was like four it was like six hard drives high, basically, and it had four. It had a little door that opened the front. You could jam a hard drive just straight into the slot in the front, and it would it would um, it would detect it and and connect and and all that. Uh, if you if if you had hard drive failures, it was problematic. You had to do data recovery, is my understanding. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what an ass was. I had no idea like what Synology even was in two thousand seven. So this actually does seem like weirdly ahead of its time. Although, looking at your notes, I think I know why. Which was need here. Seems like they saw people buying small and cheap NASes that were basically ex- external storage plus Linux plus a network interface and didn't want to seed that. That reminds yeah, so- me this this would have been this would have been right in the middle of the like we fucking hate Linux and want to destroy it era. Yeah. Right. Like like there are like I follow some of those some of those like letters of note, you know, like leaked tech emails type Twitter uh-huh. accounts that mostly are just posting screenshots of emails from uh, legal discovery from various court cases. But I feel like you'll see you'll see an email pop up here and there of like Steve Ballmer raging about Linux or clearly yeah, making free, very free clear software is the enemy. I yes. think was the was the one of the big ones there, making it very clear how the leadership at the time saw things like open source software. I, and just to be clear, this I guess Synology was around as like a business a business yeah. uh, hardware yeah, at this I think, point. I think that's what like Vinny was using that at Giant Bomb even early on. I think to archive footage and stuff maybe yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not actually that just early. Turn it onto a bunch of discs with a big later, drive cage yeah, i think later we did have synologies but that that was that i remember synologies around like 2012 2013 so maybe before that with that was not, probably actually. cbs right the yes. um yes. The, the the thing that was happening then was like western digital the external hard drive companies were putting really really low end like mips cpus and stuff like that on on um external hard drives and those were going into the into the um uh like they, they were putting network ports on them basically so you'd get like a really 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 slow nas but the external hard drive would be available to everybody in the in the house yeah. so um so yeah and and that tied in with media center uh you could you could share it used all the home group stuff from windows vista that nobody liked and nobody ever used and like they killed it i think even before windows 7 came out maybe maybe like between windows 7 and windows 8 um but yeah it was it was a weird time for really everyone with the home server it was also the best the best thing about home server though was when they went to ces and the home server had the big microsoft ad by that year and all of the banners were like, mommy, why is there a server in my house? And I get, I assume that this was driven out of the server division. Um, like the windows home server thing was driven out of the server division and not the windows division. But I, I don't really know. It was, it was, I always talked to, it was always new people there. So I, when I, when I, when we talked to them, I should have, I should have actually looked at that. Um, but, but again, the hardware was nice. It was quiet. You could put it on a bookshelf and it didn't, it didn't heat up your, your living room or your closet or whatever, wherever you chucked it. Yeah, that, that's actually a pretty neat idea. That no yeah. longer exists, just like everything Gone. else that we're talking about here. 
dead. Uh, here we should. I should. Uh, 2007 to 2013 was the Windows Home Server lifespan oh, that, that lasted longer than I than I. I think. I think when they stopped supporting that is when I switched because I th- that was the first home server I built was a was a um, I, I bought one of those HP Media Smarts because it was it was it was a really good little package. It was a little Celeron CPU or Atom CPU. Um, yeah. And uh, then I built a free NAS machine after that because that thing conked out. Uh, you want to talk about some of the media stuff here? There's a good bit of that. Yeah, we could we could do like before. I think Windows Phone. There's probably a lot to get into, but yeah, I think Zoom. I think Zoom. there's a nice through line from Zoom to Windows Phone because those sure. kind of those yeah. kind of did, did you ever actually see a Zoom? Um, I think there was a Zoom or two around the office here and there. Yeah, I, I think we had like, a Zoom, a brown one that somebody sent in maybe after they stopped working. Um, wait, did but, you guys not have like Zooms for testing? I had well, so they came out while I was still at Maximum PC. Oh, okay. And I think I had God, a, I, that old. Yeah, because they were iPod competitors, right? Sure, so, sure, sure. Like the Zune HD came out in 20, 2009, I think, or 2000. I, I, I maybe closed uh, that tab already. Uh, Zune Media Player 2006. That's the first one, but the HD was the third gen oh. one. God, actually, so there have been. There are a lot of mentions of the word Zune on this page, actually. Yeah, 2006 to, to uh, I think 2006 was the initial Zune release. Yeah, so. This says. so so the Zune was another another like embrace, extend, exterminate yeah. kind of move by by Microsoft, but it, it's also really indicative of the level to which that they didn't understand the market that they were getting into. Um, because it, like if you think back to that time, Apple rolled out the the iPod in the early two thousands, and then quickly iTunes came out, and and like the idea that you could buy a song for ninety nine cents and it would put it on your device and listen to it like five minutes later was pretty pretty novel at that time the other more successful idea was you could go to napster and just download the song for free and put on your device in about 45 seconds true probably probably more successful less i've heard it's true i've heard it's true i can't speak from experience look the id3 tags were always bad on those so i didn't actually do that i just i just bought cds and ripped them um but but the so the ipod came out there had been mp3 players before the ipod but the interface like they weren't particularly user friendly, both from uh, the aspect of getting music onto them and the like navigating a large library of files on an on a pre iPod MP3 player usually involves some sort of terrible D pad and clicking a million times. So Microsoft looked at what they did with the iPod and was like, OK, we can do this. And they built a thing that looked like an iPod, but was brown. I think it came in black and a couple <laughs> sure other colors, was. too. It sure but was it, brown, but it was like full on shit brown, just a terrible, terrible brown. And they were like, we're going to put we're going to you know what? P- people love stuff that's connected. This is before we had realized that the Internet of shit was a thing. And uh, and they put Wi-Fi on it on the first even the first gen. And at the beginning, you couldn't really use the Wi-Fi for anything, but then they released an update that would let you squirt. I think was the technical term files mm. from one player to another. When you found another Zoom user and they were like, hey, yo, man, what do you listen to? And you're like, hey, I'm listening to, I don't know, Doobie Brothers. And you'd be like, hey, you want to squirt me that Doobie Brothers track? And they're like, yeah, I'll do that. And then you could listen to it three times over the next three days and it would just disappear. But it only worked on stuff that you'd gotten from the Zoom plays for Zoom store or whatever it was. So like all of the MP3s you'd stolen from Napster didn't do the cool thing that the Zune was was famous for. And um, that was pretty much it for the for the first couple of generations. The first couple of generations, more or less the same. The first one had a 
kind of a touch wheel thing. The second one had this this squircle, like a squared circle D D paddy deal. Um, but like they did a pretty good job of the navigation stuff. Like you could you could navigate a large collection pretty easily. They had hard drives in them, so they were up to like 30 gigs. Uh, and then the third generation one came out. Uh, this this whole Zune effort was run by Jay Allard um, in the pre around the Xbox 360 timeframe. Um, yeah, actually, now that you mention it, yeah, he was like all over the marketing for the launch of the 360 and then vanished almost immediately. He understood off, off all the of Zune. the things that were cool is why they had him do this, I think, because music was cool and nobody else there was cool. I mean, 2006 is, you know, that's a year ish before that's. 2007 was the iPhone, right? So like iPods were still the biggest thing in the world because the iPhone hadn't happened yet. Right. So of course they were still chasing that. Well, iPods didn't, iPods still grew as I recall for a couple of years after the iPhone yeah. was announced because iPhone was expensive and like it was, it was first couple of iPhones were weird for reasons. Yeah. It's something yeah. we should talk about, but yeah, but I mean, actually to step all the way back though, like the, the key distinction between this and the killed by Google episode to me, as I was looking through over all this stuff is that the like Google has the reputation for killing off things kind of at their prime or that people are still really enjoying like Google yeah. plus Google plus notwithstanding, but like a lot, a lot of other stuff they kill people get very upset about because they are still in wide use. Yeah. Like the theme of this Microsoft stuff is like you said, it's like the embrace, extend, extinguish ethos is all over the place here because there are so many examples of them looking at a thing that has blown up and not saying, Hey, how can we get into the thing that's blown up and make money off of it? It is, Hey, how can we build our own version of that and slowly destroy it and replace it with ours? So it's like yeah. Zune, Zune to the iPod, Windows phone to iOS, uh, silver lights to Adobe flash is on here. Oh God. Um, Mixer to Twitch. You know, there's like example after example on here of them just saying, Hey, we're just going to build our own thing like that. It never and, seems to work. And it's like, it's like where Google looks at something like, Oh, we're never going to make money on this. They just kill it outright there. Microsoft looks at it and is like, Hey, can we make this shittier so that we do make money with it without people stopping to use it? And then people stop using it and then they turn it off. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is like, like what happened with the Zune? Like the Zune right. just got killed by phones. I think actually right. rather like the Zune HD was a really cool music player in a time when like nobody needed music players. Um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's really not that much on this list that you look at and go like, oh man, that thing was like destroyed in the prime of its existence. Like most everything on here is just like, yeah, okay. You see why they killed it or nobody was using it or it's like, it's time had passed. I, I think, I think like media center is one of those ones that like, I think in the modern era of Microsoft where they use external software and don't have to grow their own video codecs and DRM and everything for, for everything. I think that like a a like a a 10 foot interface for windows is much more interesting with a modern like $99 B link PC. You can just hang on the visa mounts on the back of your TV. Uh, then it oh, was, God, I never thought about that. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so You're totally right. Yeah. Oh man. I'm, huh. I never thought about putting the thing on the visa mount. That's hmm. Yeah. You hmm. can buy, you can, you can put your Apple TV on it. They, uh, there's yeah. a bunch of Amazon things that are like, Hey, here's a clamp that'll let you put an Apple TV on the visa mount or like wall mounted TVs and stuff like that. Might have to think that over. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, I feel like media center was probably way too early. I think maybe home server was actually way too early too. Cause if, again, if they had done home server in a world where like, like storage center was working, like the windows storage stuff was working right. And it wasn't kind of janky. And like, also they knew how to build apps that were fast at that point. It, it was a different, it's a different experience. Um, 
like people didn't know they needed storage in their garage at that point. And and now if you had a, hey, back up all the computers in your house box at Home Depot at, at, at Best Buy for 500 bucks, people would probably buy that. Yeah, I think I think the pendulum continues to swing back toward having some local storage again, like the, in the wake of this band camp thing. Yeah, see, I've, I've seen a lot of musicians out there saying like, hey, the only way to truly own and safeguard the music you love is to fucking have it in your house yeah. because all these Bandcamp is like the coolest one of those services out there and, and everything is subject Oof. to getting to getting fucked with eventually. Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, just to tie the bow on the Zune, like they did, they did. You could buy music from the Zune like you could you could on device, pick up, pick up your device and you could go to a thing that was labeled the store and you could buy. I mean, it wasn't a Taylor Swift song because it was she would have been like eight then. But like you could buy a song from the store and it would play on the device right then. Um, and, and it, they also had a service. They had a, they had a eat all you, all you can eat service. That's like the early. first one of those or damn near no. it. Right. Like so, the, maybe there were some before that, but like that, cause that's, that's like way before Spotify and stuff like that. Yeah. Real, um, real had a, had a, um, had a oh, wow. service before that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Year, right. Years before that, like 2002. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. It was, it was a weird, that one was a weird mix of like indie labels and like it wasn't, the big labels wanted nothing to do with that because they didn't trust the internet back then, but it was like, it was, it was cool. It was a neat, it was a neat service. Um, but, but it, it was super early for like device connected stuff. Now the problem with the Zoom service was you couldn't use it on anything but the Zoom. So if you wanted to listen to music that was, that you were downloading live, you had to get it from, from the Zoom and it had like stations and the whole thing. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, the last gasp of the Zoom was in 2017 when they killed the Groove Music Pass, which was previously the Zoom Music Pass. Oh, I probably knew that at one point the groove, the Zoom became groove. Interesting. Zune became groove. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zoom. Zoom. I like the market research team. I, I would love if I could, if I had a time machine after I'd killed Hitler and all the other stuff you do with the time machine. One of the things I would do is go sit in the room where the market research people were like, OK, here are our color choices. We've got 17 shades of brown to choose from. And we're going to go like brown is what the people it's the anti white, but we can't do black. Is that yeah. they also. They also do black iPods, but they've never done a brown iPod, so we can totally stand out here. It's it's I, both the color and the name, honestly, for me. Like, I would love to know what combination of of sounds, mouth feel. Oh, Zoom is tune. Got, it's got to be tune, right? Tune. You think so? Yeah, tune. Zoom. Tunes. Zoom. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it was it wasn't just you in with like the the long the long U. Oh, that's so. They, we, we look we, it was the early 2000s we were very skeptical of foreigners in the united states in the yeah, early fair. 2000s fair um so yeah so that's that's zoom and then the windows phone like ike is the last part of this pillar i think right um they just came out really late with windows phone yeah it, it was uh it was arm-based they used the metro design language of the tiles that haunted microsoft for 10 years after yeah, um, I mean, I used a Windows phone. You guys let me have one, one of your old testing units that you didn't care about when my, my phone died. Just, they would just give you, if you called and asked for a Windows phone, they would send you a whole big box of them. They were like, man, somebody's interested about Windows phone. Send them everything. I can't, I can't remember what happened to my current phone, but it was basically like, shit, I need a new phone on short notice. I guess I should need to go buy a new phone. And then you were like, hey, you could just have the Samsung if you wanted. Here's <laughs> like, one oh. from the drawer, the Windows phone drawer. Oh, wait, you mean I could just put my SIM card in this right now and get back to work? Sure. And then the I used it about- for... 
a while. You used it for a pretty, okay, pretty I think you replaced with an Android phone eventually, right? Yeah, I, I had, I got my hands on an Android phone and did the same thing, put a SIM card in that. And then finally it was like, you know, I'm going to give it back to iPhone. Um, there, there that, was the, a, those, the, the yeah. window, that Windows phone and the, and that Android phone, both. I don't remember the key combination for, <laughs> and I think I'm on my last attempt on both of them before they lock you out forever. I would love to get the photos and stuff off of there, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. This is the problem with those, with those make a pattern things. Cause yeah. like I remember the number cause I use the same number on yes. all my devices and yes, I they, never, ever remember the pattern. They were both, they were both pattern based, unfortunately. Um, but I, the, the Metro interface I thought was pretty good. Honestly, it worked like, on the, the phone. It was, it was, yeah, it was very space efficient. You know, they really fit a lot into a small space. Um, it was customizable. You could change the size of the tiles. A lot of them were live, you know, so they would display live information based on what the app was. And, and, and that was bef- way before Android yeah, or totally. iOS did that. Yeah, it was, it was essentially having widgets in your home. In fact, it was better than widgets though, because it was still the thing that launched the app. So it was like, you're getting widget data, but still the launcher functionality, not one or the other. I'm going to say it was the best implementation of that Metro interface yeah, of all the easily. places they better than the Xbox, better than the, than windows eight, all, yeah. all of those. I, I really found it to be actually pretty pleasant. Um, the, 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 again, like the, in the same way that they made the mistake with the iPod, not focusing on MP3s and not focusing on, not realizing how important the iTunes store was to, you know, to being able to buy music. I think that they missed how important the apps were early on, or maybe they just couldn't attract app developers because people were skeptical of the platform. I like there was a, there was a chicken or egg thing there. Yeah. Um, that- I'm trying to, I'm trying to think back to that time. I can't remember exactly when that was, but I think it was like around the time that Uber was getting big, but before you realized Uber was awful uh, yeah. and, and you actually still felt good about using it. And if I want to say I could be wrong that the windows phone never got a native Uber app, you had to like do it through the web or whatever platform well, agnostic option they had. So like it was, it was definitely thin. Like the app support was not all the way there. Windows phone was the reason a lot of services did open APIs for app developers. Like the Twitter app for windows phone was developed by a dude for a long time. It was just a third party app well after the, they'd bought uh, a uh, Tweety and, and yeah. tweet deck and all the other Android apps. Um, it, it was, it was um, like, like th- there's, there's an aspect of the, of the Mac strategy early on in the early two thousands that I think we don't think about a whole lot, but Apple did a really good job of recruiting people to make small kind of small kind of like not utility apps, but like lightweight, like calendars and, and, and task lists and and things like that. And, and because they were focused on design language, those apps usually came out better designed than you would expect them to be. Like the, the best Twitter clients were always on iOS and Mac. And as a result, the people making Windows apps were making things that were really functional and kind of annoying to use or just janky or slow or, or whatever. So I, and I think that that kind of polluted the Windows phone uh, market. There were there were in the same way that there were huge Windows Media Center fans and an ecosystem of sites that grew up around that and huge home server fans and a whole ecosystem of sites that grew around that. Uh, there was also a huge Windows phone ecosystem with people that were absolutely rabid for Windows phone. Yeah, I never quite got that far. I, I, I'll, I'll at least say this about myself. I think I'm usually pretty good about knowing when to cut my losses. <laughs> like I could have yeah. gone all in on Windows phone, but that way lay only pain and misery. So I'm glad I didn't. But also I'm sitting here looking at a screenshot of Windows phone. And like I remember Wordament, which was the little word game that shipped on there yeah. that got you Xbox achievements. 
Yeah, you can get Xbox more... Chivos on that. Yes, 200 actually, points per game. God, that's right. That was the other reason I like that phone so much. <laughs> it's was like, man, there's all these games on here that get you achievements. But well, Ornament was cool. Like, and there, was, play, there was cool stuff on there. Yeah, you could play Hexic on that thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the only way I have to play Hexic these days. Yep. Um, <sighs> I feel like we, we also need to talk about... They haven't killed Nokia. It still technically exists, but they, they, I assume Nokia. the Brad, Nokia. Nokia, Nokia, Nokia. I, I, I have to assume Windows Phone was the reason they bought Nokia. And they did kill the Lumia. That is on this list. The Lumia line of phones, which I thought looked very cool. Like I remember actually it was when the Lumia 920 came out. You remember that? Yeah, like that I, was, I found my 920 when I was cleaning out my desk the other day. Like, the like I had I the, it? That, that Samsung you had given me was pretty slow. And then the 920 came out and I was like, okay. Do or die. Do I actually pay money and buy into the Windows Phone ecosystem? Because I think the Lumia 920 looks awesome as a phone. This or was a I, solid blue shell with yeah. just a black screen on it. It was a lovely phone. Yeah. And then they it rolled was still out. still slow, though. Oh, was it? Okay. They, yeah. they rolled out other colors, too. I think you get like a nice blue and stuff like that. It, it, it looked great, but I, I opted to. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking buy an iPhone. Forget this. Um, but yes, Lumia is gone. Nokia still exists, but I was like, you know, I haven't seen a phone from them in a while. And I went to their website. There is not a phone to be seen on the front page of Nokia.com. So they make uh, phones that mostly aren't available in our region. So okay. they do um, they do uh, either international phones or phones that are um, often global south phones. Okay. I wonder if they're uh, geolocating the version of the website, because even when I go to products, I don't see anything about phones. You can find it if you go to Nokia.com slash phones and okay. then like the U.S. compatible smartphones is what I'm seeing on this page. OK, but it's like and they have a, a range, but it's like I think their high end phone is 500 bucks at this point. So it's it's, uh, you know, yeah, they're they're they found a market for themselves. I think they ended up getting spun back out of Microsoft. As I was, was going to say, I didn't see any reference to Microsoft on the site. So maybe me. Yeah, maybe. they I think I think the thing was they bought the. Microsoft ended up buying, bought the whole company and then spun out the stuff they didn't want back into Nokia. Okay. And if I remember right, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not hundred percent on that. I don't, it's not the kind of stuff I usually cover. Um, but yeah, the, 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 they had made Nokia was one of those companies that's like Blackberry that kind of missed the smartphone thing for a long time because they were doing their own OS for a long time and they didn't jump on Android like, like a lot of like Motorola and, and Sony and a bunch of the other uh, Samsung, a bunch of the other big, big non Apple phone manufacturers did. Um, so, so they were kind of caught out and by the time they came around, it was, it was probably too late. Yeah. Uh, um, Windows phone. I'll just mention before we move on 2010 to 2019, which is way later than I would have thought. That's only I, four, four years ago that they killed it. Yeah. I had no idea that you could still use a windows phone four years ago. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Um, um, it did have a Zune app for a long time too, just as a, as a, so I guess maybe the Zune lasted until 2019 in yeah. some way or another. They, they versioned it, right? They versioned it against the existing desktop windows. Like it, like it was like windows phone seven, it's windows phone, phone bit, yeah. 8.1. Did they ever get to windows phone 10? I don't think windows phone made it to 10. No, I okay. think it was stated. I think it just became windows phone oh, when yes. windows went to eight from yes, eight to 10 final release windows phone 8.1 update two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. RIP never forget. Uh, you want to um, go back a little further in time? Sure. You want to talk about, can we talk about the, the Sidewinder line? Sure. Remember I remember the Sidewinder. Yeah. I, I still think of them as like late 90s joysticks that plug into the game port on your sound yeah. card. Yeah. 
is, that, is, that, that's that's what they are. That's that's my memory of Sidewinder. I don't know if they got deep into the USB era or not. Well, so they had game pads as well. They had um they made a, oh, like, a right. like a Genesis style. I owned I that it was one. A four button with two triggers and a D pad. Um, um, I'm looking at well the one I had. I think I I think it was when I worked at Electronics Boutique. I somehow came into one for free. Like they mm. just had extras that they weren't going to sell or something like this. The D-pad looks I like figured. a hunk of melted plastic. Like that, yeah, that, that it, seems right. I had it quite literally, quite literally looks like somebody heated up plastic and like pressed their thumb into it. It's god awful looking. But anyway. this this was uh, for for people who are too young to remember. This was in the era when you played a gamepad game on your. People hated gamepads on the PC, and the reason they did is when you opened up a game that needed to use a gamepad, you had to go to the controls and you had to figure out what each button should be. Oh yeah. Because for the most part, the gamepads didn't know the gamepads and the games didn't talk to each other. Yes. So like for every, I was for trying, every game to be clear, yeah, every not just, game, not just once in windows for every single game you played, you had to go into a control thing and define all the buttons against the game's functionality. So for example, when I learned to play mortal Kombat four, which was the terrible 3d one, uh, I had to figure out what the bindings should be on the D pad on the, the, my Microsoft Microsoft sidewinder. And I ended up having completely different bindings than every other human being on earth. Cause you know, mortal Kombat arcade, which is all I played really before had that weird plus kind of XE layout at the time. And yeah, anyway, it was bad. Yeah. It was a bad time for games. Uh, so uh, the, how, how long did Sidewinder go though? It went for a long time. Oh, wow. Uh, I was going to say the, the, the pinnacle for me of Sidewinder and the best thing that they ever did was the um, Sidewinder for Sidewinder force feedback pro which was a it wasn't a it was a joystick that had motors on the x and y axes and it it did it did stuff like slipping and and sliding and it like the if you built a game that used the force feedback api as well it felt like nothing you'd had in a game before like it, it, you actually like you could feel things like the like the the wings losing grip on the on the air when you were stalling in a plane and stuff like that it was really really cool and uh really expensive and they probably sold like 50 of them would be my guess sure so, fair rip yeah microsoft like they had pretty good hardware for some time though like between between their mice and keyboards and of course they still do keyboards and stuff but. They, they've kind of always done like the hardware's always been pretty good yeah. i think yeah um, uh, sidewinder ran from uh 1995 to 2014 yeah that's a pretty good run they had headsets and everything for a while, like joysticks, wheels, all sorts of stuff. I'm surprised the Intel mouse is not on this list, actually, but I guess they still technically sell products under that name, right? I don't think they sell. Do they sell mice? I don't think they sell mice anymore. I thought they did. I thought they brought it back. Yes. They, well, they brought the Intel mouse back at one point. Oh, they sell like portable mouse mice, like why? Like, um, yeah, okay. I guess they oh, do the, sell the, the, the Intel mouse classic is still up for sale on Microsoft.com, but it says out of stock. So maybe that's old an old listing and they don't make it anymore. They sell a Microsoft sure. pro Intel. Oh, mouse, wow. but when I click on the page, I get an error. So. You know, uh, under the shop, other products unit at the bottom, every single other mouse on here is also listed out of stock. So maybe yeah. they stopped making mice. I think they stopped making mouse, mice should, a few years ago. I reviewed should. this arc mouse that's on here. That thing was maybe the most benightedly awful mouse I've ever used in my life, it's, including the bad Apple one that you have to plug in from the yeah, bottom. Yeah. That's really saying something. Cause there were some bad mice out there. Yeah. Um, they, they, yeah I miss, I, they, they made good. They made, they made good, good mice. Yeah. Uh, um, can we talk about mixer briefly. Yeah. Remember mixer. Yeah. Mixer was a cool, weird thing. Did you, did you, I had, did you forget as I had that it was originally called beam? Yeah. They bought it, right. It was Wasn't an acquisition. 
I think it was, wasn't it beam.pro was their original URL? Their or domain? was it beam? I thought it was beam.ng. I thought it was, no, that's a game. That's a, that's a video game. That's oh, that is a video game. Okay. Yeah. That's the, that, that, yeah. Beam.pro is, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, their, their whole claim to fame was like low latency, right? So yes. that the streamers could interact directly with chat and be yeah. like 200 milliseconds behind. It was, it was a Twitch competitor. Just, we should say it was literally just a, another streaming service like Twitch. Um, they renamed, I didn't realize they renamed, they renamed it to Mixer due to like global copyright issues. I thought that that was them rebranding for some strategic marketing initiative, but nope. apparently they had to. It got um, trenched. But yes, uh, Beam slash Mixer had, they came up with their own custom streaming protocol called the FTL protocol. So this um, is the one time. Yeah, this it, is the one time that them growing their own thing was actually better than what everybody was, else was doing. Like Mixer had a fantastic technology. Um, like the the FTL protocol, like we, we messed around with it. It worked like it was very low latency from you sending video to the service to people on the other end watching it um, like that. That absolutely worked. And like at a time when nobody else was doing that, too. Yeah, and they're There's, still yeah. not like they like still to this day, they are still using RTMP for everything, which is ancient at this point. Um, like the progress needs to happen there. And Mixer actually was trying to push that forward. This is more anecdotal just from me using it. I can't say there was something going on under the hood here, but I always felt that like their video quality was also cleaner. I thought they let you use higher bit rates than Twitch does. That might've been what it was um, actually. The, uh, the, the thing about the thing about mixer, they did weird audience interaction stuff before yes. switched it to like, you could, right. you could do overlays and stuff that ran through the service that were interesting and weird. And like, I don't, if they were good. I, I kind of always got the feeling with mixer mm. that Microsoft thought they were buying YouTube, but got Twitch. Sure. And then they that. wanted, they were like, like, Hey man, we really wanted you. Can you make this into YouTube? You should no. make, you know, it would be good to have is YouTube. And then uh, they just like it, but it was, it was weirdly not integrated as well with the Xboxes as you, as I would have wanted. Yeah, they were getting there. I mean, I think if the platform itself had caught on that integration would have gotten a lot better, but it just, it Mixer was an early casualty of the pandemic. So it yeah. did, not, did not last for very long, but it was, it was good tech. Like I was actually sad to see it go away and they had some, they had some really ridiculous stuff built into the page. Like you could trigger like confetti and fireworks and stuff to go off all over all over the place. It was, it was, it good, was stupid, yes. very good, stupid. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was the good kind of dumb. Um, um spe- speaking could, of streaming and web stuff and video stuff, cha- channel nine is something yeah. that I think probably a lot of people don't know about. I never heard of it. I, I want to hear about this. Actually. So, the, so channel nine to me, channel nine was the place that Microsoft employees and like people who were doing the actual work and as well as like project managers and stuff like that, product managers could could communicate with users. So they would do videos and blogs. It's, I think it's where major Nelson, like I remember reading early major Nelson stuff there. Like they were talking directly to users and directly to developers. And it wasn't really filtered through the normal Microsoft PR apparatus. That's so cool. So you'd hear about like, they'd talk about APIs and you'd learn about like new APIs that were coming with new versions of windows and stuff like that. And it was a really phenomenal resource um, that seemed like it maybe went by the wayside through one of the, the, the kind of like it, it fell out of vogue internally is what I would see. Like you stopped seeing people using it as much. I think it was just a thing that they had that was available. And and just to be clear, I'm not under the impression that they weren't filtering this through, like through the normal marketing apparatus, oh, yeah. but it, but it felt like they weren't in a way yeah. that like a lot of corporate communication around that kind of stuff does not feel. And like yeah. somebody like Apple would never, ever do. It, uh, it started in 2004, so it predates YouTube by just a little bit. 
So yeah. obviously, obviously, once like generalized sites for sharing things like video got popular, there's maybe less of a need for this. But it was part of MSDN. I did not realize until I looked at the URL. It was channel9.msdn.com. Oh, yeah. So I guess it was under I, that umbrella. I wonder if they moved it to YouTube. Like that's the that's the um, it looks like no. But it, it was it was a really like when you were learning about how to do when I was doing OS coverage, it was an incredibly useful thing. It's just the Microsoft developer channel now on YouTube. OK, um, well, that's still a thing. And it's kind the of, same same uh, kind of stuff. It's like build, it looks like it's like a lot of build conference uh, sessions and stuff like that. Now, the the Wayback Machine has at least a version of the website. I don't know how much um, of the content is actually preserved. Probably not that much. But you can, but you can at least go look at what it looked like. Yeah, it it was it was like having them do the, like the thing that was interesting about it was really just the direct to user and developer communication. It was it was a cool thing. Yeah, that, that's that's a cool and kind of very un Microsoft like thing from that era. Honestly, it was kind of the beginning. It was the beginning of the more open, less we're going to destroy you, Microsoft. Right? Like, sure. Like the hey. Uh, there, there's a through line from, Hey, we, we're going to post stuff on channel nine and not just roll it out at build conference and, and the windows, uh, HTC, H hardware, HEC, WinHack and, and those places, um, to, Hey, we're going to put power toys on GitHub and people can just submit code changes to them if they want. Yeah. Right. I, I, I vastly prefer the current iteration of Microsoft. Yeah, they're, they're like a, they're like a like a kind of racist grandpa who's mellowed in old age. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Like I, I went and I went and posted a suggestion on the windows terminal GitHub issues. And sure enough, I mean, it wasn't just me, but sure enough, they made that change six months yeah. later. Um, I'm going to mention one on here that is a little wistful to think about, which is Microsoft Encarta. Oh, the, the, the encyclopedia on yeah. CD. Yes, the CD. Well, not not the first CD-ROM encyclopedia, but probably the most popular one. Would you say, or like the most mm. full-featured one? It's hard to say because those that was one of those things that, like, if you bought a CD-ROM drive in the late '90s, you just got like two encyclopedias jammed in the box. Yes, um, you sure did. So I was reading the Wikipedia page for Encarta, and it reminded me. <laughs> I'll just read here under background. After the successes of Compton's Multimedia Encyclopedia and the new Grolier Multimedia Encyclopedia, we 100% got a copy of Compton's Multimedia Encyclopedia. Yeah, we, I got a with, Grolier with, our first, with a Sound Blaster okay. one time. Yeah, that, that actually that led to me clicking through to the Compton's Encyclopedia page where I found that it is now known as Compton's by Britannica. Mm. So. Little encyclopedias just getting swallowed up by bigger encyclopedias. Just like, don't, don't mess with big encyclopedia. Okay. We, we had an encyclopedia disc that was like a freebie that you got the disc free at, at Sam's or Costco or something. And you could call a phone number and give them your credit card and they'd unlock it with a code for you. So you could then use the information on the, huh. on the CD-ROM. Interesting. I have to imagine it was all the exact same codes because of the way CD-ROMs were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah Probably. it was it was we didn't ever call i just you i just read the first like paragraph of the entries usually and then moved on that was enough that was enough to write your book report that was all i needed um i i, I guess i just i remember ricardo like over time being the most like i don't know the best production values maybe the best type like video quality yeah and kind of i thing. think their like their layout was less like windows 3.1 app and more like mm -hmm. windows 95 app like they yeah. they had people who were actually pretty good at visual design working on yes. that thing Yes, but then of course, Wikipedia basically destroyed them. 
So by the time that stuff came out, I was in college. And if I had cited in Carta in a college paper, I would have been kicked out of school probably. Really? Yeah. Really? That's, that was not considered like an authoritative source? Uh, no, it wasn't even that. It was that if you cited the encyclopedia instead of an actual reference, you would have oh, been in any, trouble probably. Yeah. Any encyclopedia. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, they were in the sciences, at least they were like cite, cite papers and original huh. sources, not not encyclopedias. Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah. Um, I miss. But I also, miss. I wouldn't have known how to write the citation for Encarta either if I was trying sure. to. So fair. Yeah. I miss that stuff, but it's just because I'm old. I miss I miss CD-ROM encyclopedias. You, you, uh, look, if you ever want to do an CD-ROM encyclopedia stream, I will get on Twitch with you. Oh, and we can man. go through some CD-ROM encyclopedias. Because oh, that's a good idea. They're on. I'm sure they're on archive.org. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really want to go find Compton's multimedia encyclopedia now. Yeah, we can get the girl. Uh, we can do. We can do. We can rate rate your interactive multi, multimedia encyclopedia from the late 90s. Yeah, man. My YouTube recommendations have really shifted into that kind of old retro tech youtube oh no area and my god man there are so many videos out there of like hey i'm gonna install next step and run through it you know like every every expensive unattainable computing thing i ever fetishized in my life i can just go watch a video of somebody messing with it now you should you should watch the guy that unboxes that sidewinder force feedback pro i posted the 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 youtube link in the show notes um it's pretty good those are fun unboxings of old things are pretty fun he plugs it in. He gets it working. This is a joystick port thing. And like it's, it's, it's yeah. Uh, I'll mention just real fast before we go. Cortana is finally slated for execution permanently. And like, I think they said Wait, late hey, 2023. I haven't, I haven't finished the last, uh, I haven't finished the last halo, man. No spoilers. That's, I got a, <laughs> got nothing for you. Um, I, I think they are only saying late 2023. I don't think there's a date yet, but Cortana is finally about to end. Although this is, this is exciting for me. Well, yes and no, but actually uh, the Cortana standalone app in Microsoft Windows will end in late 2023 and will be replaced by Microsoft Copilot and Bing Chat AI. So, uh, so, OK, so my my relationship with Cortana is that basically when I install Windows on a new computer or get a new computer, I open up the registry editor and I disable Cortana yes, with yes. the registry level and then I never think about Cortana again. Same, same. Um, I'm not excited about having to do that for the AI. This is how this is how the machines take control, Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, on the plus side, if you want to get some pictures of SpongeBob doing 9/11, being <laughs> AI is great for that. Apparently, <laughs> yep. Um, That's true. I've seen it. Photo real. Mickey Mouse apparently was involved too. I don't know. I'm not going to use that for the show art this week. No, please do not. Please as do tempting not. Is tempting as maybe. No, don't do the title either. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's Cortana. Yeah, this is, uh, again, this is killed by Microsoft.info. There's a ton of fun stuff on here. I mean, fun. We, we, yes, we could have talked about, I would, you know, Silverlight would have been fun to talk through, but that's definitely not fun. That's oh, just them Silver trying Knight. to replace Flash with their own technology. Well, and ActiveX too. Because yes. they had their, they, like, they had an ActiveX problem and Silverlight God, solved that too. I forgot about ActiveX, man. I yeah, really ActiveX was back. the cause of and solution to all of their problems for a long time. Uh, you know, there's fun stuff on here like Microsoft Bob. I never used Bob. I didn't either, but I was infamous. It has to be. It yeah. has to be the. It has to be the shortest lived thing on this list that I have been able to find. And the little blurb is tragic sounding <laughs> when you read it out loud. Microsoft Bob. 
Killed almost 28 years ago, Microsoft Bob was a user-friendly interface for the Windows 3.1, 95, and NT operating systems. It was 10 months old. God, I didn't know it worked on 95 and NT, but yeah, it was, I, I thought it was a Windows 3.1 thing. I, I, it, ni- around the 95 release is when I remember the biggest marketing push around it. I, it was just, I, thought, I remember it being before that as a, like, hey, so. we're going to make Windows friendly for the home. Oh, actually, no. It, only, it came out in March 95, so like five... Yeah. What, four, four or five, six months before 95 came out. Yeah. And Windows 95 was August of 95. Yeah. Um, um, it was, if, if people all know, it was the, it was the thing that replaced your Windows desktop with like a graphical, like picture of a room with a fireplace in it and a calendar on the wall and a dog that ran around talking to you. There was a clock that updated live, I believe. Uh, and the logo was that goofy ass looking smiley face with big, thick black rim, like thick rimmed glasses. It was a pretty good smiley face. I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say. Bob was infamous. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why. I think that was just, was, you know, the, the same, the same types of people who hated Apple, who hated the Mac at that time, hated Bob. They, yeah, like they, they saw it, saw it as an, an attempt to make computers too friendly. The one thing that hasn't changed the entire time I've been doing this is that people love to gatekeep things that they're good at and other people might not be. So, you know, whether it's Counter-Strike or uh, how to use Windows 3.1, we still will will come down hard on the things that make it easier for a broader audience. Yes. Now, that's not Um, that's not to say Microsoft Bob was good. No, I don't. I don't. I I, I actually I would love I kind of I kind of want to fire up a Windows 3.1 image and and try out Bob now because I don't have any like I use the plus packs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. just because in the in the like late 90s you would often buy windows and you'd get a coupon that was like hey for 10 bucks more you can get the plus pack or whatever yes and the plus pack had that sick pinball game and um i i don't know maybe some other stuff usually nothing that was useful um but it felt like you didn't have all of windows if you didn't have the plus pack had all those cool extra wallpapers you could get a space get at pinball you got drive space, which would compress your hard drive to make the make it your the stuff on your hard drive to make it to make it bigger um, you got the Internet Jumpstart Kit, which had Internet Explorer 1.0. And I think you had Task Set Scheduler. That was the first time Task Scheduler showed up Windows, but it was called System Agent. It was, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Um, I remember Plus. Yeah. It also had another video on it. It was like, like the Buddy Holly video that was on the Windows 95 CD. So yes, I watched that Edie Brickell video so many times. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, they kept doing pluses until wow. They still do plus. No, 2003 oh. was the last one. XP oh. plus died, but power toys came back, which was the right choice. If you're going to, if you're going to bring yeah. back one, one of the little, the weird little under the radar windows add-ons from that time, power toys is the one to do. The worst thing about the plus internal code name prior to the windows 95 launch was that it was code name was frosting. So huh. I guess windows 95 was the cake. Great. Great. Yeah. I don't like this. Yeah. Um, uh, shout out to front page. I wouldn't be here for work for front page. Oh, huh? Is that uh, desktop publishing stuff? Front page was a WYSIWYG, uh, editor, oh, HTML. Web editor, HTML okay. editor that lived on top of internet, internet, uh, IIS, their internet server, which probably should also be on this. Cause I don't think they make that anymore either. Um, uh, but we used front page at Ars Technica when I started, when I started Ars Technica in 1998. Okay. And, uh, it didn't have cause CMSs for websites were not really a thing that, anybody that didn't have a whole boatload of money already had. Yeah. So we had to literally get on ICQ uh, and say, Hey, I'm opening the, the the website front page to make changes. 
because if somebody else opened it afterwards or whoever saved last overwrote everybody else's changes. So if you were doing like the news at night, you would write down three news stories, take two hours and then you'd save it. And then somebody else would save a typo that they fixed earlier on the page and everything you had written there would be, would be gone. It was a great system. Fun. Uh, it died in, I think, 2006. Yeah. So I- IIS still exists, apparently. Wow. I'm, I'm honestly, I continue to be kind of surprised that Windows Server still exists, but we, I, I actually know people who use Windows Server for stuff. It's, there's a lot of valid use cases, it turns out, these days. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Uh, real, real quick, before we run out of time, I will, I'll just take the opportunity to shout out uh, 3D Movie Maker and the Fosspod episode we did with Twitter's Foon. Yeah, it was great. About that, which is 10 also. 10 spoon. Brad, yeah, Brad made great. a face when I said that. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a really fun, really fun chat with Foon about the process of of like re- resuscitating uh, Windows Movie Maker and, yeah. and all the work that they put into that. Um, what's Tay? Tay is on this list. I don't know what Tay is. Oh God, you don't remember Tay? No. Tay, Tay was the Twitter based chat bot that they launched and took oh. down in less than twenty four hours because it turned into a Nazi. Yeah, the the one the internet made it racist. Uh, perhaps yeah. an early an early cautionary tale with. Was that machine learning or was that, I mean, that's 2016. It was, was machine it, learning. Yeah. Nobody it, yeah, paid attention. That was, that was oh, I, I remember making headlines. It's just, you know, they took it down so fast. It wasn't around long, but it's certainly waking it, up the it, next it, morning it, to all the tech blog headlines of Microsoft launched a Nazi bot yesterday. <laughs> well, it, they didn't launch it as a Nazi, but no, it came of course a Nazi not. when exposed uh, to people. So yes, they, they, they made the mistake of go. letting it learn from anything and everything that was fed into it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there was a blue sky thread the other day about Tay. I didn't remember that it was called Tay, but but they were like, "Hey, did nobody remember when the SpongeBob doing 9/11 pictures started getting posted?" Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, "Yo, did nobody remember Tay?" And it turns out nobody remembers Tay. So anyway, there we go. That's the stuff Microsoft's killed. Yeah, uh, just it's, I, I would say that's a highlight. There's a lot more. It turns yeah. out. Yes, killed by Microsoft.info. If you want to look up some more of the stuff, there's a ton on here. There's a lot of games stuff on here. Um, and yeah, games, the games for windows is on there Can't we, we like we talked about games for windows remember 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 when you could play halo uh or, or no shadow run shadow oh, run shadow yeah. gate yeah shadow versus run. shadow run on, against 360 players yeah you could play on the pc Huge. versus people with a controller and i'm going to tell you the controller people did not have a good time when a mouse person showed up yeah i believe it people just quit that's a tale as old as time well uh, i think these days it works out like they, yeah, the technology is finally there. Yes, yeah. it's better. It's better. Uh, they put Kakuto Chojin on here. It's like, what? What? I don't even know what that is. It's a fighting game. Oh. It's kind of a somewhat infamous fighting game for the original Xbox. Anyway. Mm. And this, you know, before we go, this thing, this thing also lists that that's what the guillotines are. Things that are not shut down yet, but will be. Yeah. On the way. And the, and the 360 marketplace, the Xbox Live marketplace is on here because that's going offline next year. Oh, wow. End and of life. Can, you will okay. not be able to purchase anything else for the 360 online after that date. What what am I what am I what am I missing? What am I going to want? What am I, what um, is going to go away and I'm going to be like, "Oh man, I wish I had that." I I assume a definitive list is going to come out of of the, here's all the this, stuff going yeah. away and that you should probably own type stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to include DLC for a lot of like retail 360 games as well. Yeah, it's funny cuz there's a lot of there's a lot of like the games for Windows stuff going away actually made like fallout three DLC shockingly hard to play yeah. and, and yes. Batman Arkham Asylum. And yeah. there's a bunch of games from that era that are, that are ascent. They're not lost because people, you know, the pirates found a way, I guess. And, uh, and they got re-released, but Viva, Viva yeah. Pinata for PC is, is all wrapped up in that. Unfortunately, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> anyway, well, circle of life, Brad. Yep. Um, this is the part of the show where we thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. As always, Brad and Will made a tech pod is a 100% listener supported show. So if you would like to support the show and help us, help us keep the, uh, keep the death watch going, I guess. Yeah. There's also also one of these for Apple actually. Ooh. <laughs> Just Ooh. To, if, if people like these episodes, there's an Apple one out there potentially waiting to happen. There you go. Um, but you can go to tech, uh, patreon.com slash tech Again, it's patreon.com slash tech where you can join the fabulous tech pod discord and uh, get access to the, to the patron exclusive episode. Last month we talked about, we had an extensive conversation about the first 200 episodes of the show and, and like what we think the next 200 episodes are going to be look, look like. So when, when we're making predictions, you can mock us in four years see how that went um we uh you also get access to the discord which is a phenomenal resource full of wonderful people like it's it's i learned something every day i'm in the discord i say this every week but it, it is it is truly whether it's somebody sharing recipes for things that they that like their family classics uh or uh people talking about how they're wiring up their network and their new houses they're building and stuff like that i learn something new every week and, and yeah. it's, it's fabulous yeah we wouldn't we wouldn't keep saying it if we didn't mean it no. So thank you uh, to all of our patrons, but a very special thank you to our executive producer tier patrons, including Nick Johnston, Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Jordan Lippett, Bunny Fiend, Wedge says, join the TechPod holiday gift swap. That's on the Discord. If you're in there, there's a channel for it. Uh, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen, James Kamek, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Thank you all so much. Thanks to everybody for supporting the show. Yes. Uh, and if you and if you don't want to support the Patreon, tell your friends, write an iTunes review something for yep. us. That all helps too. We really appreciate it. Spread the word. Get up on your rooftop and yell. Take your old TV, hang out of the window and say, hey, why not listen to the Tech Pod with Brad mm-hmm. and Will? That's right. It's a perfect use for an old TV. It's true. <laughs> you could you could definitely deduct that from your taxes, Brad. Probably. We will be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you.